Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the 13th chapter of Romans. Romans, the 13th chapter, as we continue our study. This is one of those passages that uh, you're thankful that you are expository preachers because you probably wouldn't pick this one out and say, you know, I'm going to bless our people today and talk about Christians and their response to the government. We all like to talk about that, right? Uh, You know, sometimes I wish I was like the preacher. They said, are you a topical preacher or expository? He said, well, so I just pick a topic and expose all I know about it. So uh, I'm gonna, we're going to go to God's word this morning in chapter 13 and, and concentrate on conscientious subjection. You've heard of conscientious objectors before, but as believers, we have a responsibility to our government because of what God's word says. And so, you know, I, I was thinking this week about several things that... Um, you know, a lot of people have heard of the Yogi Berra, you know, the bear, Yogi Berraisms. He says the funny things, you know, they, they said, Joe, Yogi, you need some new luggage. He said, no, I don't. I only use it when I travel. And it, he's talking about a restaurant. He said, uh, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. But there, there's another guy named Bill Peterson. You'll get it after a while. Just kind of stay with me. <laughs> warm up, warm up. Here. Okay. Bill Peterson. Bill Peterson has a lot of these same type sayings. Bill Peterson was a head coach at Florida State University. And Bill Peterson just did not mean to be funny, but he just said things that didn't come out right. He, he was trying to motivate his team one day and he said, guys, you, you remember like the words of Patrick Henry, kill me or let me live. You know, he, he's the guy that told his team, guys line up alphabetically according to your height. And uh, one day the, the chaplain was there, coach, we need to do the Lord's prayer. I'll do it, I'll do it. He said, okay guys, let's pray. He said. Now I lay me down. Take it away, chaplain. And so uh, anyway, Bill Peterson said this, and this is what we want to talk about. Men, never forget, this is the greatest country in America. Okay, never forget. <laughs> hey, if I have to laugh by myself, I will do that. All right, this is the greatest country in America. Well, seriously, how do we as believers relate to the government? And I'm going to leave a lot of things undone. I'm not going to touch on political uh, processes. You know, there's been a time in the church where, in my opinion, patriotism almost replaced the worship of Jesus, that we were in the 80s, we were so patriotic and we were so, the church was so involved politically that we neglected our responsibility to share the gospel. Paul says, we preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's the message of the church. You know, I'm not going to get into political parties. And, you know, there have been times where if you were not aligned with one particular party, people would question your relationship with Jesus. And in my lifetime, that's applied to both parties. So I'm not going to go down party lines. I just want to deal this morning with what God's word says about how a Christian should respond to government. The Bible is very clear. It's like the guy who said, you know, it's not the things of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. The things that bother me are the things I understand, okay? So this is pretty simple today, and I know it's going to raise a lot of questions in your mind, or could possibly, but I just want to share with you what God's Word says about our relationship with the government. So let's read, let's stand together. I want to read over you from Romans chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 17 and go through chapter 13, verse 7. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, 
So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our role in society. Every soul, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, the government, the authority, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it, the government, is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Uh Uh-oh. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's remain standing for prayer. Father, we hear your word this morning. And Father, we stand in honor of your word, but we humble our hearts, Lord, in humble obedience to your word. Lord, your word reigns over us, Lord, as it points us to you your plan, your grace, your mercy for us. Lord, the good that you have set before us. Lord, we pray this morning that you would lead us into the good, lead us into your mercy, lead us, Father, into your wisdom, lead us, Father, into submission to your word, to your will, to your way. Father, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, thank you. Many of our problems when it comes to politics and government comes from a basic problem that we have with our attitude, okay? I mean, it's just basic human nature. We are rebellious by nature. We're rebellious by nature. The Bible continually tells us there's an attitude that's necessary to properly operate within any organization. Matter of fact, as we think about the principle or the, the, uh, the institution of the government, God has three, has instituted three uh, organizations, if you will, beginning with the family in the garden, then government, as we'll see in Genesis chapter nine, and then the church. Now we know the church began, Christ was, you know, from the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified, but the church was revealed after we had the institution of the government and the institution of the family. But there's a key attitude that we as believers, those who would want to honor God, we must have in all three of these institutions. And it's something we don't like to talk about. It's hupotasso. 
Now, I know you don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it, but we have to have hupotasso to function properly in any of those institutions. That word is the Greek word for submission. Submission. Now, see, it goes against our very grain to subject ourselves to the government, to our husbands, to Christ, to the church. But in all three institutions, submission. And hupotasso is a Greek word, which is a military term, which means to fall in order, to get in order. I mean, when the, when the troops were going into battle, they got in order. They had to, as particularly in those days, to be effective. And so to be effective in all three of the institutions, there's an attitude that's very important, and it is the attitude of submission. Every soul is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, now I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers this morning, but please listen to me. Subjection, submission. We're all to be conscientious, thoughtful subjectors. As an act of our will, as an act of our emotions, we subject ourselves to the will of God, to God's purposes for us. We see this as a part of God's plan. This is a part of God's glory how God is going to reveal himself to the world through the church. We've been studying in Romans how God's uh, righteousness has been declared in chapters 1 through 11. In chapter 12, Paul begins to tell us how God's righteousness is displayed. How can the world see the righteousness of God? Through the church. How can the world see what a a true a Christian, you know, someone who follows God, really looks how they respond to the government. Church, we of all people as believers should be model citizens. You know, Paul said this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all what? Talk to me. All what? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. So how can we as believers reflect the glory of God by our attitude toward the government? Three things. Number one, the first the point comes really, this is the whole text. And number two comes off of the text. And number three is what we find somewhere else in scripture. But number one, simply play by the rules because God establishes governments. That's Paul's point that he makes here. Pastor Colby read this while ago, but it's worth repeating. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty and indeed everything that is in the heavens and in the earth, yours is, is the dominion. It means he has control. Oh Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. David is acknowledging the greatness of God. That's something we need to do daily. But he acknowledges that all rule, all authority, all power comes from who? From God. All? What does all mean? What does that mean in the Greek? That means everything. (laughs) All. It comes from God. Now, there have been some people who've had a hard time with this. You know, there have been rulers in the past who've become very proudful and, you know, powerful in their own mind. One of these was King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Do you remember when he got proud and puffed up and looked out over his kingdom and said, you know, this is all that I've done. This is what I've accomplished. What did God do to him? (laughs) If you don't know the Bible story, God humbled him. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar lived for seven years as a wild animal. His fingernails grew like claws, his hair was, he lived in the, the dew of the ground for seven years until he came to the realization. Until you recognize, Daniel 4.25, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. What's my point? God establishes governments. God raises up, God puts down. Now, how did God establish government? Why did God establish government? Well, most people go back to Genesis chapter nine as the beginning of civil authority. Genesis 9, 6, God said to Noah, when you go fishing, go easy on the bait. We only got two worms. No, God said to Noah, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. God declares that he will use man to bring about justice for man. You see that? Whoever sheds a man, whoever commits murder, his life will be taken by man. God establishes in Genesis 9, 9 a justice system that he will use to bring about justice for the good of all man. Wayne Grudem says this. I'm going to put this quote up there. Yeah. By speaking these words to Noah, God establishes the obligation to carry out the most severe punishment, the taking of a human life, in retribution for the most horrible crime, the murder of another human being. Once this principle is established, then the imposition of lesser penalties for lesser crimes is also validated. Since if a government has the right to carry out the most severe kind of punishment, then it certainty and certainly has the right to carry out lesser punishments for lesser crimes as well. So here we see God establishes to Noah for civilization, small as it was, a justice system. Man will execute justice for God, man upon man. So Paul says here in Romans chapter 13 that government does not bear the sword for nothing. God has established the government with the authority to punish. So it's interesting when we go back to Romans chapter 12, look at verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So when an injustice occurs, how can we leave room for the wrath of God? How can the vengeance of God be enacted upon an evildoer. Paul tells us how in Romans 13, through the government, through the government. Look at chapter four, I mean, chapter 13, verse four. For it, the government, is a minister of God to you for good. And again, this is all for our good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, the government, does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God. The word minister there is diakonos, which means servant of God, an avenger. Look at that, verse four, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So Paul says, leave room for the wrath of God. God says, vengeance is mine. God says in Romans 13, the government will be the avenger for justice. 
And so we see how God uses the government that he has established, this system, to, for our good. So God establishes government. It is his minister, his minister. So we recognize that, but we need to be reminded to honor the authority to realize that God is the one who established it. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, where we begin to see the purpose of government. Submit, there's that word. What's the Greek word? Hupatasso. We're gonna learn that, okay? There'll be a quiz. Hupatasso. Hupatasso, get in order. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. Why? What does the government do? For the punishment of evildoers, ah, and the praise of those who do right. So basically, the Bible says our government has two functions, to punish evil and to praise the good. So Paul says, do good and you won't have to fear the government. That's a novel thought. But governments serve as God's servants, his ministers, to punish evil and praise good behavior. If we're doing good, we have no reason to fear authority. So why should we play by the rules? Number one, because it's right. (laughs) It's right. It's the right thing to do. Look at verse five. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience. Our conscience. As believers, we should want to do what's right because of our conscience. Now, Peter says, we just saw, submit yourselves to the the, uh, authorities for the Lord's sake. Paul says, yes, do it for the Lord's sake, but also do it for the sake of your conscience to do the right thing. Did you know the government has a conscience fund? Do you know that? It's a fund that was established where people who have cheated the government or defrauded the government can send their payment to the government anonymously, okay? And so it's called, you can Google it, the conscience fund. They can send, if they've defrauded, they cheated, they can send this to ease their conscience. <laughs> I heard the story of one man who, who, wrote, who sent the government a check for $200. He said, I'm sending this check to you because my conscience bothers you and I cannot sleep at night. Then he wrote, if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest that I owe you. <laughs> so, how much do we have to do to ease our conscience? But for our conscience sake, Paul says here, that's a reason we play by the rules. Paul said in Acts 24, 16, I love the King James. I hear and do exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Why do I want to obey the law? So I can put my head on my bed at night on my pillow and know I've done the right thing. For my conscience, my relationship, we can't be right with God if we're not right with each other. So for our conscience sake, we play by the rule. Government authority is established by God. Those who serve in the government Paul says, are his diaconus, his ministers, his servants. It is right for believers to live in conscious subjection to the government, realizing the role that God has given the state. So we do what's right. We play by the rules because it's the right thing to do. Secondly, we play by the rules, as Paul says here, because it's wise. It's the smart thing to do. Look at verse 3. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, for he is God's servant to you. It's wise to obey the government. Our conscience 
should tell us that when we are driving 85 or 90 miles an hour up I-59, 20, our conscience should tell us, you know, that's not right. But sometimes we continue on until we see a patrolman. When we see a patrolman, we knock it back down to around 70, right, Angie? No, 70. No, I'm teasing. Uh, We knock it back down around 70 because why? Fear. If we don't slow down, we're going to get a ticket. And if we continue to speed, they might throw us in the pokey. I mean, there's going to be punishment for, for evil. So if you want to be free from fear, do what's right. Why? Because it's the wise thing to do. The government, Paul says, does not bear the sword for nothing. God has given them the power, the authority to punish. There's, there's, this is where wisdom comes in. Play by the rules and you will not be punished. Do evil and you go to prison or you get a ticket. I mean, that makes sense. We try to teach our children their consequences for everything they do. Authorities are necessary to hold people accountable, to live in a way that makes it possible for us to live safely together. Without the threat of punishment or a ticket, we would endanger one another. That's what, you know, that, that verse in Judges kind of sometimes sums up a lot of what we see. Judges 21, 25, it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Can you imagine if there were no laws, what our society would be like? Can you imagine what our society would be like if every man took the law into his own hands and we would punish just randomly? It would be total chaos. But God has given us authority. God has given us civil authority. God has given us government for our own good. And so our conscience tells us, obey for the Lord's sake. Wisdom says, obey. It's the right thing to do. And you won't be punished. We play by the rules because it's wise. God's plan is that only some people have the authority to bear the sword. And we respect those people. So it's, it's right, it's wise. We play by the rules because it's fair. Look at verse six. For because of this, what? This, the fact that government functions, because of this and all that the government does, executing justice, the praise of those who do right, the punishment of those who do wrong, because of this, you pay taxes. Verse six. For rulers are servants diaconus of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. This is their job, And it's fair that we honor them for what they do. That's why, verse 7, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. What's Paul saying? Because of what the government does, because it's been established by God, and it's the right thing to do, it is only fair that we, in obedience to the government, support the government. We support those who have devoted themselves to this very thing. What thing? Governing governing us as ministers of God. This is why it's necessary for us to pay taxes. The authorities are God's servants who give their time to go, for governing. Because of that, as he says, he's, they've devoted themselves to this, our government. We give them what we owe them. Now, before you get too upset... If anyone ever had a right not to pay taxes, it was Jesus, right? What did Jesus do? He paid taxes. He paid taxes. Now, he didn't pay his taxes the way you and I do in a normal way. 
Peter came to him. It was funny. I love old Peter. He, he, he would always speak first and then, you know, think later. They, they asked him, does your master pay the tax? He said, yes. He, hey, Jesus, are we going to pay this tax? <laughs> And, and so Peter, Jesus in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew, 20, Matthew 17 kind of says, you know, I, I'm exempt by, by my birth. I'm exempt by every right. But so that we do not offend, we're going to pay these taxes. Well, how? You go fishing, Peter. You're good at fishing. First fish you catch will have the tax money in its mouth. And so that's why I say he didn't pay taxes the way we do. And sure enough, we get caught up in the miracle of the fish. But the point is Jesus paid taxes. And Luke chapter 20 is another account. This is where the Pharisees ask him, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, the Jews were notoriously bad citizens. They didn't like the Roman government. They didn't like living in Hupatasso to the Romans. They wanted to rebel and they did not like paying taxes. So they tried to trick Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. He detected, verse 23, he detected their trickery and said to them, show me a denarius. Yeah. Show me a coin. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. So Jesus said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What's Jesus saying? Do what's fair. Give to Caesar what you owe him. But what we many times forget, don't forget, don't forget to give God what you owe him. And what Jesus was saying, he was saying yes to taxes, but no to worship. Yes, you owe Caesar taxes, but you only worship God. You know, we, we kind of slide through that many times, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Yeah, we'll pay taxes. But what do we render to God? What do we render to God? Now, this is not a stewardship message, but let me just tell you, all God wants is all you got. That's all he wants. He says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. We ask, I ask you what Paul asked the church at Corinth. What do you have that you do not receive? I mean, everything we have came, comes to us from God. He actually owns it all. We're just stewards. And the Bible says that we are to return to him the first fruits of all our income. What does that mean? That means that the first check I write goes to the Lord's work. That means that the first fruits that I, the first thought in my mind when I receive a paycheck is I'm going to honor God with my wealth. I love what Stephen Alford said. God demands a tithe and he deserves an offering. And then he will defend the savings and direct the expenses. What does that mean? We give God total control of every area of our life, including our finances. There's some good people at Alberta Baptist Church who haven't learned the secret that, God, that you can't outgive God. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Pay your taxes. But remember, render to God what belongs to God. What belongs to God? Worship. Everything. Everything. We play by the rules because God establishes the government. It is right. It is wise. It is fair that we live as conscientious subjectors. We play by the rules of government, remembering all the time Number two, that we obey God, God's commands, because God is our ultimate authority. So this is where I want to begin to think, is there a time when it is right for a Christian to disobey the government? 
Is there a time for Christian civil disobedience? What about governments around the world that oppose Christianity? Tim Chester, who co-pastors with our son KJ, I was reading his commentary on Romans 13. He says, obey the state whenever possible. Disobey the state whenever necessary. Obey the state whenever possible. Disobey whenever necessary. Now, that does not mean that we pick and choose the laws that we want to obey. Every time I pick up my little Caesar's pizza, I go through the drive-thru, and the sign says, no right turn. I turned left one day, and three days later, I got caught in the Bermuda Triangle. I mean, you go down an alley, and you go back, and you turn around, when it's so easy just to turn right and get on the main street. Now, I'm confessing today that to turn right is wrong, okay? And I've done it. But I'm not allowed to pick and choose the laws I will obey and I will not obey, okay? Whenever the laws of God conflict with the laws of government, who do we obey? The laws of God. The laws of God. When that happens, we say, as Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. Uh, Two things. We disobey the government when it forbids what God commands. We disobey the government when the government forbids what God commands. Example, scripturally, Daniel. Daniel. Daniel's competitors were trying to trap him, so they got the king to issue a law. It's illegal to pray. The Bible says Daniel, as was his custom, three times a day, opened his window and prayed to the Lord. So what'd they do? They arrested him, threw him in the lion's den. Daniel did what the government forbid because God commanded it. It's, we disobey. We disobey the government when it commands what God forbids. Again, we see an example in Daniel. The government commanded that everyone bow and worship of the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. The government commanded it, but they would not worship an idol. So they ended up in the fiery furnace. Those are two biblical examples of what we, it is a, it's okay, it's time, it's permitted to disobey the government. God is our ultimate authority. Paul says the government is a minister or servant of God to you for good. What does that mean? That God is over the government. A servant is not greater than its master. The government, government is God's servant. The servant is not greater than the master. In verse seven, again, where Paul says, render to all what is due them. Paul's referring to what Jesus said in Luke 20, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, what belongs to him, taxes. But render to God what belongs to him, what belongs to God, worship, everything. God is greater than Caesar. So it is always imperative that we obey God rather than men. God is our ultimate authority, so we obey his commands. And quickly, number three, we, what do we do? We play by the rules. We obey God's command, and we pray. We pray for our government because God is our only hope. We pray for our government because God is our only hope. You know, when it comes to a president or a governor or a mayor or any other elected official, here's the bottom line. Because we live in America, this is the greatest country in America. Remember, Bill Peterson. Because we live here, we get to vote on who we want to to lead us, okay? You have a choice about who you vote for, 
but you do not have a choice about who you pray for. I want to say that strongly. We have a choice about who we vote for, but we do not have a choice about who we pray for. Why? Because the scripture tells us, God commands us. First Timothy 2, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for all for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Good or bad, whether you agree with them or not, we are commanded to pray for our leaders. As believers, we have a responsibility to pray. Now, we have other political responsibilities today. We have responsibility to vote. I believe that to exercise our right to vote. We have a responsibility if when we feel led to run for political office, to influence our society, we have a responsibility to work and do all that we can to see that godly men and women are elected. Some people feel led to do that, some people don't. But what we do not have an option is to pray, to pray for all who are in authority. As we pray for our leaders, Let's remember what God has given. He's given us a powerful promise. Proverbs 21.1. This will be a good one for you to memorize. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whithersoever he wishes. The king's heart is in God's hands. God is ultimately our only hope. God has given us authorities for our good. Our authorities are God's ministers to praise those who do right and to punish those who do evil. The problem, and I know that probably a lot of other questions have come to your mind that, again, I haven't touched on, but no government can execute God's justice perfectly. There will always be injustice. What happens when we go to the authorities, when we're wronged and justice is not served? What happens when those who are supposed to praise the good begin to promote the evil. Let me just tell you as I close, God is our only hope. God, we cannot place our confidence in the man in the White House, but it's the one who went to the cross. We place our hope in Jesus. We all turn to the Lord. We all have to fall back on God and trust him, realizing that God is truly our only, only hope. And in times of injustice, remember this, as we go and turn to God for justice, when someone sins against us, or we feel like there's been a wrong committed, as we go to, to God for justice, we need to examine ourselves. Have we sinned against someone else? Yes. Have we lived in rebellion against God ourselves? Yes. How did God respond to our injustice? How did God respond to our rebellion? Mercy, mercy. God's mercy is demonstrated for us as Christ went to the cross. He bore our sin in his body on the cross. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm so thankful God is not just. (laughs) I could never stand before God and ask for justice. All I can plead is mercy mercy. And today God offers mercy to you as a sinner. God offers mercy to all of us in our sin, in our sinful condition, rebellious condition. As we've rebelled, not only against the government, we've broken the laws, we've rebelled against one another, we've rebelled against God, but God offers us grace through his son. And as we receive that grace, 
We want to live for his glory in all that we do, even in how we relate to the government. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning.